the difference I think now and how we're actually able to still get people with less experience into these highly competitive jobs that are getting hired over experienced candidates is because they're taking a step further and they're actually showing that they can take these steps, right? They're going and downloading that trial. They're going and getting that cert and or they're going and actually prospecting into you as a manager before the interview even happened, right? They're taking the steps to show versus just telling. And I think that's the difference between a lot of these experienced candidates are frustrated sometimes because they're doing all these things. They're highly qualified. They have great resumes. They have great experience. They're not getting noticed. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. All right, y'all, welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. This is your host, Alex Kremer. And if this is your first time joining us in the show, yes, we're so stoked to have you here. I am joined by my very good friend, Mr. Yuji Higashi. First off, Yuji, what is up, my friend? Oh man, everything's up, but it's good to be here. That's what I'm most excited about today. It's a Friday that we're recording on, sunshine in, and most of all, I got to spend time with my buddy Alex, just talking about things. Good to be here. Man, we were talking a little bit prior to this pod of just like, what do we want to really be diving into here? And there was a lot of different arenas that we could play in between careers, between pre-sales plus sales collaboration, how to find a job, so many different things and tying back in of, hey, we're just here to just help people tap in a little bit and just, hey, what's the message that's going to come out, whether it's to be through tactics or whether it's going to be through just being who you are. Usually just to give you a little introduction for those who don't know you, you're the founder of Better Career. You're helping people, and I love the statement, cut through all the BS to give you precisely what you need to accelerate your job search in today's competitive market. And you were the co-founder of the Pre-Sales Collective, as well as the Pre-Sales Academy, which is such an awesome community for someone who within that arena, which I'm assuming we'll get into. And my favorite part, maybe not my favorite part, but one of my favorite parts is your early years at Outreach. So you helped to grow Outreach from Series A all the way to Series F, build out the Pre-Sales Consulting Team. I know you and I were in the trenches quite a bit in various types of capacities through growing from a small team to what became of of outreach even today. So many good things and good memories there. How does it feel hearing an introduction of yourself and what did I miss in going through that? It's great. I think you got the highlights for sure. And as maybe people have gathered from that journey, it's definitely taken some twists and turns. I've spent a lot of my career in tech startups, B2B SaaS, and leading customer-facing teams on customer success, professional services, and then most recently building a solution consulting pre-sales team at Outreach. And that's where I thought I would be for forever, leading teams in pre-sales, but I really enjoyed it. It's something I really came to enjoy that role specifically. But then, as you mentioned, I ended up stumbling across this idea to start a community for sales engineers or people that are in the pre-sales function. And then that led me to then building the pre-sales academy because I realized quickly that pre-sales is a great role, but it's a hard one for people to get into for the first time, especially if you're not coming from some sort of adjacent role. And so that's where we decided to build pre-sales academy. And that was really, really fun, just helping people make 
really big career pivots into pre-sales or, or sales engineering roles for the very first time. Even people coming from all kinds of backgrounds, like public school teachers, as an example. We helped them make that big transition through that program. And then after building that, I decided to build something new again, because what's something I learned about myself is that I really enjoy building programs, building companies. And I also really enjoy helping people progress in their careers. And that starts with finding careers they really enjoy and love, uh, starting in those careers, in those new jobs, and then eventually advancing and, and accelerating their, their progress in those careers too. So that's the idea behind better career is to be a career platform to help people find, start, and advance in careers they really love. Mm. That's the journey. What I hear from that, which I'm just connecting right now, is there's actually a very clear through line between all of this. <laughs> One, it wasn't like you did this and then you stopped doing that and you started just to do this and then you stopped doing that. You did. Yeah. One thing really led to the next that you were doing. And I know at, at Pre-Sales Academy, I love the fact that you're actually helping people get into a solutions consultant, whatever pre-sales type of position, but then you found a passion for that. Ooh, where else can I do this? And that kind of unfolded, unfolded there. That's very true, right? Like I think when I was at Outreach and working in SaaS startups, I realized I really like that type of role, pre-sales. And that's something I really gravitated towards. And then we built the community. And I realized through that, I really like helping people are helping people develop their careers. And then through that academy experience is when I realized I really enjoy helping people, especially people making career changes. Now, our core program with Better Career right now is helping anybody, experienced professionals, as well as career changers, find jobs because a lot of people need help with that right now. Uh, but ultimately, the next thing we're working on with Better Career is to actually build programs to help specifically career changers and help people pivot into these different tech customer-facing roles, such as sales engineers or SDRs, customer success managers, really all go-to-market roles that I think people really enjoy being in and developing careers in. We want to help more people get into those roles. And so there's a lot of people like teachers or people coming out of hospitality or nurses, people coming out of healthcare, they just want a change. And so what I really enjoyed, especially in building Pre-Sales Academy, was helping people make these big career transitions, these big career pivots. And that's a lot of what we want to try to help to do with better career as well is build programs specifically for career changers. I, I want to learn more about that because I think there's, I, I know a lot of, especially being here in Austin, three or four different people who are helping people who are come from a non-tech or non-sales background get into tech sales. But you're really helping people get into I love it's a broader, it's like the go-to-market organization and it encompasses so many client-facing, customer-facing people. How do you actually do that? Because it's like when someone comes in, I'm assuming like if I'm a was a waitress or a, a server, anything along those lines, and I'm like, you know what? I think I can do something more. What do I do? <laughs> What's the journey that you actually take people on to help them discover that? Yeah, part of it is just educating them on the fact that these roles exist. And a lot of what we try to do is help people understand that they do have a lot of skills and experience that transfers really well, right? For instance, if you look at school teachers, they actually, you might think on the surface, hey, a school teacher, kindergarten teacher is very different than a sales rep. But once you dive into it, you start to realize that actually a lot of the skills that a teacher does or has and, and a lot of things they do on a regular basis translates really well into sales. For instance, right, they present to large groups of people regularly. 
that are from very different diverse backgrounds and things like that. They have to be able to communicate and take very complex topics and communicate them in a way that's very easy and simple to understand, right? This is that's important to do in sales. They deal with managing and organizing a lot of different stakeholders who oftentimes don't want to talk to them, right? Teachers, parents, other faculty members, students, certainly, right? And these are all skills that transfer really well. So a lot of what we do is actually help them just identify, hey, this is a, a role that you could potentially get into because you actually do have transferable skills and experience. And then the, the next part is like packaging all of that up such that an employer can see the value in what they bring based on what they already have. And then, of course, there's some skill gaps and things like that that need to be closed, right? They need to learn about the SaaS sales process, as an example. And they need to learn different types of discovery frameworks and, and what have you. That's stuff they have to learn, of course, but like they actually come to the table with a lot more than most people would think, even themselves. They, even they themselves, they think, hey, I don't have any experience, I don't have any skills. But the reality is they do. And so a lot of what we try to do is actually help educate and help people understand what they actually already bring to the table, supplement that with a few extra skills and a little bit of training, and then help them reframe all of their experience to employers so that the employers can actually see the value they're bringing versus just thinking of them of, hey, that's a teacher that probably isn't a fit. In reality, that, that teacher can actually be a great fit. And we've had a lot of really good success stories. Again, I keep using teachers as an example because it's very different on the surface from some of these roles like sales engineering, but we've helped so many people go from being a teacher or a hospitality restaurant manager or something like that into these sales engineering roles fairly quickly just because we were able to do that to help them transform and get the skills, but also reframe their experience in a way that's compelling to employers. We found a good formula for that. And so we've had a lot of success stories of helping people make these transitions fairly quickly. That's yeah. really fun, really rewarding to take people on that journey. Do people, as you're taking them through this process, just continually have like light bulb moments of like, oh shit, I can do that. I am doing that today. Because that's got to be yeah. often. Oh yeah. All the time. So much of it is confidence too, right? Like they just don't have, they have the imposter syndrome. They have the confidence. A lot of what we do is just help people build up their confidence around the fact that they do have those skills. They do have the experience, but they're also learning new things like sales process and how to operate a B2B SaaS environment. Uh, but yeah, there's always these light bulb moments that are popping off in their heads, which is fun to be a part of too. And just to see them start to get it and click and just feel really comfortable over a matter of a few weeks. Why well, I, I would just reflect to you is it's awesome to see you doing that for yeah. people. That's got to be unbelievably rewarding, fulfilling, gratifying, just to do something so good that is very needed in this world. What, one question I have though is you're essentially helping people get into tech in whatever go-to-market face world generally. And it's going through a very unique inflection point time right now where there's more opportunities, it seems like, than ever before, especially with the introduction of AI, especially of what's happening. Just markets are starting to bud everywhere, and it's a lot. On the flip side of that, it's also more uncertainty than ever before. You think about a tech sales professional, I think I saw the stat, the average AE or sales rep is hitting 47% of their quota right now, which is crazy. Are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? Is tech doing well? There's just somebody tell me because <laughs> I don't know. Are you seeing just from your view of all go to market roles, any transformation that's occurring within it that you would specifically highlight or any new roles that are starting to bud or any different roles that are evolving within it? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think we're seeing a lot of is just just generally, uh, of course, what we've seen across tech in general, right? There's just a lot of tightening and there's a lot more emphasis on efficiency. And there's also a bit of an imbalance between demand for talent versus supply of talent, of course. And so a lot of that stuff is getting is normalizing, right? Or, get, or eventually shifting back towards more of a normal market, which is good and healthy and, and something that's very much needed. As far as different roles and evolution of roles, there's still a, a very good demand for sales engineering talent. I think the way businesses are buying technology and buying software or just any technology in general, they're fairly educated coming in when they're getting introduced to sales organization. And so they usually want to talk to somebody fairly quickly that has a good deep understanding of the solution because all of the surface level information about a product or a solution, they can typically get from the website or from other resources that are available online about certain solutions. By the time they get to wanting to actually talk to somebody, they want to talk to somebody that's fairly well-versed in understanding of the solution or the product they're trying to buy. And that typically is going to be a sales engineer or a solution consultant. And so in that regard, we're still seeing a lot of demand for those roles. And there's a lot of companies that are actually making their ratios such that there's many more SCs, or, or relative at least, than they, they used to be. And we're even seeing in some cases where there's actually in, in some segments of some businesses, ServiceNow is one example of this, in their upper segments where they actually have more SCs than AEs. And so that's just one example. That's one of the roles that we're seeing like a lot of other roles, like a lot of demand for. And then I think SDRs still continue to actually be being hired constantly, just because people, I think, need pipeline. And so <laughs> who's going to get that pipeline but SDRs? I remember hearing what you just spoke to around the solutions engineer, solutions consultant role, because when I was at Microsoft, I left Microsoft in 2018, and I was an account executive for about five years there. And I remember when I left, I had a mentor of mine, his name was Rick Joyer. He's like, hey, man, I'm just going to just tell you honestly, he's like, I think the AE role is actually dying. He's like, what? the world and what our companies and our clients are actually wanting more are specialists for. And so he was one of the best AEs that I'd ever seen. And he transferred over to become an Azure specialist, so a cloud specialist. I talked to him a little while ago and he's like, it's just opened up so many more doors because I'm an expert within a technology that so many people need. He can fall back on that. What I always felt, just to be honest with you, what I always felt, I'm not so sure I'm an SE, is like the technical aspect of it. Usually when I get into a technical scope, I hate to say it, but I feel my eyes kind of start to glaze over just a tiny bit. I don't necessarily know about how outreach integrates with cat with Salesforce per se. I usually left that to my sales solutions engineer. So for someone who wants to go maybe into a more technical uh, product specialist sales position, is the learning curve of technical part of it? Is that generally a hurdle? Is that a hard part? How does one who's a waiter or a waitress today even begin to think about becoming a technical specialist at something? Yeah, that's fair. Range of technologies that exist is pretty vast. And so it's very much a spectrum. And I would say that a lot of people coming in for their first sales engineering role are going to be on the less technical side of things. So think like more of uh, the Salesforce of the world or, or ServiceNow where there's probably less, there's less coding as an example. Like so there are some technologies and some sales engineering roles that require you to be proficient in some level of programming or, or coding languages. The majority of SD roles don't require that. And so typically with these career changers, we're definitely going to focus them more on less technical SC roles, but that are maybe more like generally solution focused versus like in the weeds technical. 
Like with anything, I think that the biggest thing to prove to themselves and also people that will ultimately hire them is that sure, they don't have all the deep technical skills yet. But what what we want to show them is that they can learn the technical skills quickly. And that's what we show them through the process is like show them how to get some skills quickly so that they can at least show employers that, hey, I've got some skills already, but I'm also on this really strong trajectory where I'm learning a ton of new skills very quickly with most managers. I'm sure you feel the same way around hiring somebody that's hungry and eager to learn and super curious, even though they don't have all the skills yet, that person is probably going to surpass a more experienced person that does have the skills, but that is just a little more chilled out as far as their their development and learning. Somebody that's coming in hungry and eager and wants to learn it will likely pass that person as far as their output down the line. And so that that's the case that usually we try to make to employers who are hiring some of these career changers. So let's click into that because I think that's interesting right there. Because as a sales leader, as I was interviewing many sales reps, whether it be at Catalyst or at Outreach, one of the key things I was always looking for was curiosity. It was like a hunger, a zest to learn. I wanted to see, oftentimes a question I would ask people, let's say we did a mock discovery call. One of the things I'd always ask is, hey, how do you feel like you did? Right, Self-analyze. And I could see how they thought about it and looked at themselves. And then I say, hey, cool, are, are you open to some feedback? And witnessing how they responded to the feedback was really interesting because sometimes I'd see them say, yeah, absolutely. And grab a pen and get ready to tell me everything. Yeah. And sometimes I see them like, hey, fold their arms, cross their arms, you lean back a little bit and be like, oh, oh, this person isn't as open to the coaching. Just the simple response of it. So when it comes to showing curiosity, to embodying, to, to portraying that, especially that's an important quality to be able to show if you have no experience. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more directly in related to the job, how would you recommend people show curiosity? These roles at technology companies or software companies, right? A lot of it's outside of the interview. Certainly in the interview, you want to ask thoughtful questions. You want to show that you've done your research, right? And ask questions around some of the research that you've done related to the product or the technology. But a lot of it is doing all of that ahead of time and then showing that you've put the work in to want to learn about their product. So I'll give you an example. One of the career trainers that we helped get hired for the company he was interviewing, right? he downloaded the free trial. He went really deep into that and then brought that to his interview and said, here's all the things I've done related to your product. Not only that, they had a, a public certification, product certification. Right? And it wasn't super, anything that's over, over complicated and takes months. It's something you can do pretty quickly. But he went and did that. right? He did that training. He got this certification for their product. He dove into their API docs, right? That's not something an average candidate is going to do. And so by doing that, he demonstrated that he was just really curious and, and interested in their technology. So he took the time to go really deep into it in a matter of a few days or a week leading up to that interview. And that's what was really ultimately compelling for the hiring manager. And they hired him over, I'm sure, many more experienced candidates that were in their pipeline. That's a powerful example right there. Yeah, as interviewers, we're not necessarily 
looking at what are you saying or what are you doing right now? But it's more of a meta experience of, hey, how would you go about thinking about this? It's not about having the right answer. It's how would you go about figuring out what the right, right. answer is? And can you show just through your example of letting, if I'm interviewing a salesperson, I want them to treat me as they would a prospect. So for example, can they make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn, shoot me a personal message beforehand, mention, hey, I saw you went to University of Washington, go docs. They're way better than Washington State. I'm glad about that. (laughs) UG went to Washington State, go Huskies. (laughs) <laughs> it's a meta thing is let this experience be a, analogous to what the actual thing would be. That's totally right. I think the biggest thing, especially like in this market that we're experiencing, and we work with a lot of experienced professionals as well. We, we, we actually coach and have a lot you know, in our current job accelerator program, we have a lot of experienced director level people, sales reps, uh, CSMs. And I think what's interesting is like, a lot of folks that have gotten jobs before in the previous market that we were in, they can explain their process in an interview. And that's what they've relied on. They're used to doing that effectively. They can explain, here are the steps I would take as a sales rep if I was to try to break into account. The difference I think now and how we're actually able to still get people with less experience into these highly competitive jobs that are getting hired over experienced candidates is because they're taking a step further and they're actually showing that they can take these steps, right? They're going and downloading that trial. They're going and getting that cert and or they're going and actually prospecting into you as a manager before the interview even happened, right? They're taking the steps to show versus just telling. And I think that's the difference between a lot of these experienced candidates are frustrated sometimes because they're doing all these things. They're highly qualified. They have great resumes. They have great experience, but they're not getting noticed because there's a lot of other people that have that around them. And so it's the people, even with less experience, that are coming in and showing that they can do the job and do the activities and responsibilities of the job rather than just talking about it and relying on their resume to sell their experience, right? And that's what we're finding happen pretty consistently. I think it's just a dynamic that exists in this market that is going to take some getting used to for a lot of folks, especially people that have a lot of experience and qualifications and don't feel like they need to do those extra things because they have all that great experience or qualifications. When in reality, they do have to do that because the market is, is demanding it right now. Where I want to take this now is you're helping and guiding people to get into tech. And you yourself have a really powerful trajectory within tech. And I want to talk a little bit about outreach. Back, you were there. When did you get to outreach? What year? What month and year? February 2016. Okay. So you were there for about two years ahead of me. That was when it was still a Series A company and you took it all the way to Series F. And so as you're advertising to all these people who are in different industries to move into tech, you can say, hey, I've been through the journey of each stage because somebody can go in and join A seed round company could join a Series A. Series A to a Series B to a Series C is a lot different. To a public company is a hell of a lot different, right? There's different journeys and types of leaders that are required at each individual stage. When you're supporting people, guiding... First off, what did you learn going through all those... (laughs) I want to call it seasons of outreach. And where do you feel like sweet spot is from your perspective? Yeah. Oh, man. I learned a ton through a lot of trial and error. And I'll say that I didn't have a ton of experience building or leading teams before I joined Outreach, right? I had done it. I'd been part of a similar journey 
through my the previous company at Aptio, where I joined fairly early around Series C, and then was there all the way up just before the IPO at Aptio. And so I had seen the story, but I hadn't really necessarily been part of building and leading a team, although I did manage a team and help build a team, but a much smaller team than I did at Ultimate Outreach. And so there was a lot of learning that I had to do to figure out so many different things. And that actually was part of the genesis of the pre-sales collective was because I was building and leading a pre-sales team for the first time. And so I had no idea what I was doing. And so I had to create a community or I, I had to find a community. One didn't exist. And so then I decided to create one ultimately. And that, that again, was the genesis of, of the pre-sales collective, where I started by just bringing a, a handful of leaders together in the Seattle area who were leading pre-sales teams at DocuSign and SmartSeat and SAP Concur. And then we got together every once in a while to share ideas and, and lessons learned and things like that. But it was hard, right? Joining a Series A company like Outreach when we did was a grind in a lot of ways, a lot of just figuring stuff out. Frankly, I think it's the most fun for me, right? When I talk to people all the time, I always encourage them to consider small companies, Series A, maybe if it's your first one, Series C is probably good a good uh, spot to get into because it's a little less chaotic than maybe Series A. But nonetheless, I think I really enjoy it. It's very hard work. You wear a lot of hats. There's a lot of different pressures that 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 exists in a small company. But I do think that the amount of professional growth you have as an individual and eventually as a leader, like there's just so much that you can gain quickly in an environment like that, that you can't necessarily replicate or get in a larger organization. I've been in both. I've been in both. I've been in a big company as well. And so I really enjoy like joining that small company. And so now I'm building my own from scratch, right? In the last couple stints, last few years. And so I've really got that entrepreneurial bug. But I do think for a lot of people I coach and, and mentor and also go, go through our program, I always encourage them to look at some smaller companies because I do think there's, while they can be hard, they actually provide a lot of opportunity and potential to grow quickly. And the reality is there's a myth out there and there's a kind of misconception that small companies are risky. And, and that can be true to some extent, but small companies actually in this environment, a lot of them are fairly well-funded and, and well-capitalized. And they're also fairly efficient because they haven't really hit that like massive growth spurt where they're spending more than they should. And so these Series A, Series B companies are actually the ones doing a lot of the hiring, right? And so even big companies, there's risk, right? We've seen the layoffs, especially the last few years. There's a lot of risk in those bigger companies. And so small companies can provide a lot of opportunity, but also in some cases have a lower risk profile to mm. the individual person or employee. Mm. The Series A, Series B companies... There's a lot more, I'd almost just call it like a lot more uncertainty because you're not for sure a product market fit. You're, you've got some wins under your belt. Okay, some clients like us, are they going to renew with us is, is another question. You generally, unless you have really great leadership or really great founders, a lot of the people who are in the roles that make a big impact on the success of the company are first time doing that, such as yourself right? Such as me when I moved into my management role. And I remember when I was at Microsoft, there was a position for everything. Oh, who, who makes slides? There's this person. Okay, who rolls it out? It's this person. Okay, who actually trains it? It's this person. And one of the things I see a value of going to an earlier stage company is you have to play and wear a lot of different hats, right? If you are, let's just go, I'm just going through my own experience. If you're the sales leader, it's you're coming up with the initial meeting flow, the slides, mm -hmm. you're rolling it out to the team and you're also training people on how to do it and you're continuously adjusting it. Whereas if you're at a larger company, 
there's usually somebody for each one of those roles in the process of that. Freaking guys came right back. Yeah, no doubt. You just got to figure it out on your own and find people in your network or in the communities that you can connect with that you can learn from outside of your company. Certainly, there's people inside your company that you can learn from. But just the nature of a small company, there's less people around to learn from. So sometimes you have to go externally to get some support or help. But I think the people that do well in these small companies are just people that are extremely resourceful and can just figure stuff out through finding whatever the information they need, whatever answers they need online or through people in their network. So as you've now ventured in your journey, you really the startup world is what I'm gathering. I mean, you're early at outreach. You are early. Obviously, you're the co-founder of Pre-Sales Collective and Pre-Sales Academy. Now you're starting. You started Better Career and you're doing this. For somebody who might be in within a different industry, what would it take for me to actually start something, right? Really from like the zero to one stage, let alone the one to two or and upwards. What have you learned along that journey that has supported you and now doing this for third, fourth time? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Even in my early years coming out of college, I thought, hey, maybe someday I'll start my own company. That was really interesting to me, but I never just came across an idea. And so Pre-Sales Collective actually just came through pure need, right? Because I was in that position of trying to build a pre-sales team without having the network or the resources to help me. And so I had to build it. I think that's where a lot of probably the great companies come from is just out of founders who have a need and then try to solve that need on their own. And then eventually that turns into something that they can monetize and sell. But I think there's nothing wrong with being W2 and having a great career in in a startup or tech company in general. There's just so much you can learn in those roles. And and then eventually, I think you run into something that you have a passion for, right? Whether it's coaching people, whether it's building community, whether it's building products, when you find that thing, you'll know what it is. And then the best thing to do always, I think, is to try to build something on the side on your own, right? While you have a steady income, because it just relieves a lot of the pressure of trying to figure out and build a business without an income stream. And so I think doing something on the side for a bit, figure out how you monetize it. I learned from other people that are taking the steps that you want to take as far as launching a business and then just go for it. I think the biggest thing that I've learned about myself too in the journey of starting new things is just there is definitely a point of stress and fear of is this going to work out? But I think what's always gotten me to the next big jump in my career, whether it's into a new role in a new company or whether it's starting a new business is just taking that leap, right? Every time I've taken that leap, I've always thought I can always go back. I can probably always go back to the last job I was doing or the last company I was at, right? I can probably always go back to something like that. But I might not have another chance to make this leap and take on this new opportunity, build this business. Like the market might be different or I might be in a different position, so I might not be able to do it. And so far, every time I've done that, the five or six times I've done that in my career, it's always worked out for the better and really taken me to that next level. I guess the message for folks would just be like, if it feels right and it feels like this is the time to do it, just make the leap. I would bring that, I compare that even to myself as you share that. It makes me feel... I'm about to share something that might be premeditated of me sharing it, but I'm announcing it on December 1st. But it's like, when I first went into sales leadership within tech in 2018, that's what I wanted to do for my whole life. Not necessarily tech, I just want to move into leadership. In college, I, I was like, eventually I'm going to be a leader. Like that, That's my goal. And remember when I finally got to it, I was like, yes, baby. And I loved it. And I fell in love with it because not only... 
was I able to invest into people, but also I was so curious about it. So it's like I was just studying it all the time, which made it natural. Like my growth and my effectiveness at it is because like I liked it. Like I wanted to become better. I was just interested in it. It's that curiosity thing that we were speaking to earlier. I did that as a tech sales leader for five years. And I'm now about to step into full-time CEO of Alluvians and, and leave my tech sales leadership job. And I wrestled with that a lot because I felt myself, especially over the past year, as Alluvians really started to grow and as the immersion started to be good. And I felt myself like, man, I really like this. I love building this. I love think I'm thinking about it all the time. And I felt that that fire that used to be in me for being the tech sales leader wasn't as lit up. I was like, oh, like, like I, that used to just juice me up. Like, what's going on here? And there was a little bit that I was like, I was ashamed of it. I was like, oh man, like what's wrong with me right now? Why is this not exciting me as much as it used to? But just through a lot of just thoughts and, and just like thinking about it, talking about it with people, it's like my identity has changed, right? My identity has grown and developed to where now who I view myself to be is no longer able to fit within that role. And it served me. Like, I'm not saying throw that thing out, don't exile it. It's still a massive part of me, but now it's grown on top of that. Man, first of all, congrats. I think that's super exciting to hear. But it's very true, right? Your passions evolve over time. And it, just like you, I was once a very passionate pre-sales leader. And I thought that I would do that forever because it really lit a fire for me. But that changes over time. And now I'm passionate about other things. And But at the end of the day, and, and this well, is like you're always going to be most successful in what you're passionate about. But again, that can change over time. It's been incredible to watch your journey. I know I think we talked at the beginning of 2023. I want to say it was like January, February, and you were just thinking about alluvians. Like nothing was really even, I think, public, maybe just something very little and, and it's blown up. And so I think that just shows like what can happen. It, even you're running it part-time, right? But it's blown up to that extent when you're working on it part-time, but it just shows what passion can do for a project or initiative or a program like that. It's been really cool to see the journey. Frankly, I, I've been very impressed with it. And it's really come a, an incredible way in such a short mm -hmm. amount of time. And I think just even more incredible is like the people that are going through that program and just the feedback and the excitement. And, and I think you're changing all the lives through it and just getting people to a very good place in their careers and their mindset. And it's been really cool to witness and be a part of. Yeah, I remember that that call because you got on this journey. I was like, how did you start your community? I don't know if this is the exact quote. So someone might need to fact check me, but it's like people overestimate what they can do in 10 years and underestimate what they can do in a year or something along those lines. I feel like it's not quite right. It's at least people underestimate what they could really do in a year. Yeah. I think it ties well into like what we're speaking to here and even what you're doing with better career. If people are in a certain job or in a state within their life today, and they're like, oh, I don't know, like, could I really do that? If you commit to it, right? And if you really find the community or the resources or the mentorship and really the confidence to do it, that yes, you can do it. Yo, shit, like your life can be completely different 12 months from now, if not sooner. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And if you're passionate about it, like that's what drives the ship, right? If it's something that you get excited, and you, you know it, right? We work entrepreneurs, we work around the clock, but it doesn't feel like work a lot of times because you get up and you're just excited to go work on that problem and solve that challenge or whatever it is. It's just different. But of course, a lot of that can come in a sales role or a success role or whatever role you're in. 
in a corporate job too, right? Whatever you're passionate about and generates excitement for most of the time. It's not always going to be roses and rainbows and all that, but at least if you're passionate most of the time, that's going to typically generate success and, and great outcomes for yourself. So I've got one more question here for you, Mr. Yuji Higashi. All right. By the way, it's funny. I asked you how you said your last name before this call. I don't know if I've actually said your last name before because I feel like Yuji is, I don't know any other Yuji. So I'm like, it's just Yuji. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't know many either, any other Yuji's. It's good, man. It's, it's a uniqueness. So first, man, I just want to acknowledge you and just say it's been unbelievable to witness. I'm grateful that I know you first off. Like it's fucking awesome <laughs> because we partnered together. We worked together at how to grow a company, how to grow a rocket ship, unicorn, whatever it is you want to call it. And it was powerful to be in the trenches together and to both learn and grow there together. But then also to witness what you did then with the pre-sales academy, pre-sales collective, to witness now what you're doing with the better career. You're an example of somebody who is really solving just a need that is in the market simply because you had that need. <laughs> and I think that's such a great, great case study of like, hey, he's crushing it because he found a problem that he needed solved. And he just said, I bet you other people need this. And so it's not only that, but like you are in service, which is so awesome. Like you're really helping people find that next stage, that next step to really unlock so many opportunities in their lives. You're allowing people indirectly to create better relationships with themselves. And at the core of it, you're giving people confidence. Like that's awesome. That's medicine for the world. So just thank you for doing that. And here's my question for you. That was a long way of leading up to this question. I appreciate it. This show is called the Rising Leader Podcast. And just so we all know, I did not tell Yuji that this was going to be the final question. But Yuji, if you listen to any of my other pods, this is always the final question I ask people. So we'll see if you listen to any others. So the show is called the Rising Leader Podcast. So let me ask you, what do you view as the rising leader? That's a great question. So I think in working with a lot of people throughout the community and with in Presales Academy, I think one of the coolest things that we were able to cultivate as part of that is just this massive support system where everybody helps everybody out. And in doing that, what I've realized is that there's no like real incentive for people to help each other out. Like we're not in the same company. We're just like in this community, very different companies, very different in a lot of ways, different career paths, but everybody helping each other has shown to me time and time again through this collective and academy experience is that we can go so much further as a group working together. And I think what's really cool about what we fostered in that community is taking people who are making these career changes or making these career pivots, and they're taking that with them, right? They're taking that experience and that perspective and mindset of how can I help and support all the people around me to be better people, to help give them confidence in whatever they're doing. And I think through that, a lot of these people are leaders on their teams, right? We get feedback from their managers and the companies that they end up going to work for. And they are leaders on their teams because I think they bring to their team this attitude of, I'm just going to help and be supportive and collaborative and help build up people around me. And I think that has been really fun to see. And to me, that's what the rising leader is all about is like going to wherever you're going to go, whether it's a team, a company, a community, and build up the people around you, instill confidence in them that, that they can do whatever it is they want to do and achieve their goals. And I think 
that's been really fun to be a part of is to see that come together and really start to turn into some really cool experiences and success stories for people. And so to me, leadership is much more than certainly a title. And I think that's what a lot of these people that are making these career changes and going into these roles and just injecting this new leadership and attitude and energy around supporting one another and giving to people around them. That's been what it's been all about for me as far as when I think about a rising leader. Well said, said. So UG, if people want to get a hold of you, what is the best way to do? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way, right? I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, as I'm <laughs> sure you do, Alex. And LinkedIn is the best way if you want to connect, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you. Awesome. And so for all those who listen to this, please make sure you hit subscribe to the Rising Leader Podcast. And also, if you know of anybody who needs to hear this podcast, who might be ready to take that next step or is not quite sure on where or how to go, make sure you give them a listener or tell them to, to give a good follow to my good friend, Yuji here. So with that, have a wonderful day and thank you again, Yuji. All right. Thanks, Alex. It's good to be here. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluviance.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown over four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders on diving in deep on what really matters, but really mastering the craft and being in an incredible community. Our next Arise Immersion is coming up this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area, and make sure you grab your spot. Check out alluviance.co to apply there. Hope to see you there.